Yo, what's good, free world? This is King in the depths of the Better the Beast, once again bringing you Shank Radio. Today we have a very special show. We will be talking to one of my mentors, the infamous Almighty Latin King ECC11. He's going to be presenting a lesson called Brown Force and the Political Philosophy of the Almighty Latin Kings and Queen Nation. So here we go, without further ado. O King of the Universe, Supreme Maker of all things, Foundation of Life, Almighty Father of ours, Yahweh, illuminate both my mind and my heart with both wisdom and love, and may the blessings of the ancients and the wisdom of the ages guide me as I present myself before thee and all your sons, 360 degrees strong, in and with the life, energy, and strength of the Almighty Eye within me, the principles of love, honor, obedience, sacrifice, and righteousness above me. And may a yesterday, today, tomorrow, always, and forever be as it was in the beginning, with both strong king and queen wisdom and peace, both upon the continents of black and gold and within the black and gold. Those two symbolic and sacred colors of natural creations, existing since the beginning of time and enduring forever, representing those that we love and live for, the memories of those who rest in the peace and freedom and in the sanctuary of your heavenly bosom, Almighty Father, King of Kings. Amor this lesson, Brown Force and the Political Philosophy of the Nation by ECC11, is recorded here with any additional commentary made by the author himself as the first installment in the broader work and series to be titled ECC11's Meditations Upon the King Manifesto and Constitution. May he who is gifted with the Almighty Eye then clearly proceed. I'll begin by reciting Brown Force word for word and as declared in the King Manifesto and Constitution, our KMC, in its entirety, before building upon its various passages and parts. Brown Force. The Latino can draw additional strength from another source, too, if he has the will and the faith. Anonymous millions of brown men and women have given their life in the fight for liberation. They have fought against colonialism, hunger, ignorance, and for the dignity of our people. They have drawn from one another through unity, a force of fortitude. Brown force, the force that provides the splendorous glow of hope in oppressed people. The seed they cast into the founding of the nation, the Almighty Latin King's nation, has withstood the trials of time. Drawing upon the endurance and fortitude of Brown Force, we continue our quest to unify and ensure free political and cultural expression among the third world people and amongst the commonwealth of individuals. We are the people's liberating force. Brown Force, the foundation of the nation. To begin with, I have chosen the section of Brown Force within the KMC to establish the political philosophy of the nation primarily because of the language found therein, of which we will take measure here to more fully elaborate upon as well, but also because the idea of Brown Force is one so often and narrowly misconstrued into serving erroneously as some form of Latino chauvinism or another amongst even the members of our very own beloved and mighty tribe. In the entire KMC, there are referenced but three colors therein, and none more. Those are our nation's sacred colors of black and gold, and our beautiful color of brown, as referenced in the Code of Kingism section of the KMC, where it states that we must protect with our life brown women, for they are the mothers of our beautiful color. On the one hand, Latinos, as a demographic, if you will, are not just comprised of one color. And on the other hand, brown force, as found in the KMC, both concerns and pertains to more than just the Latino, as we will elaborate upon further on in just a bit. 
Brown Force and the Political Philosophy of the Nation, then, finally, is a treatise of sorts, covering a particular system of principles for the conduct of life, nation life, as detailed throughout the KMC, but focused upon a bit more exclusively here by way of the section of the KMC so titled as Brown Force, which is, in itself, political, and that it concerns the government of the capitalist imperialist United States of America, that system that places materialistic value above and beyond both human life and principle as so referenced throughout the KMC as such. And because it so blatantly exclaims the taking of sides both against and opposed to the United States' politics of both universal tyranny and global exploitation. And there so shall we begin with the words of Brown Force, as inherited by us by way of the KMC therein. In the first line of Brown Force we read, once again, that the Latino can draw additional strength from another source too if he has the will and the faith. The Latino, that person who derives from that part of the Western Hemisphere south of the United States and Mexico, Central America, the West Indies, and South America, where either Spanish, Portuguese, or French is the official language, can draw additional strength from another source too. In other words, this additional strength, this other source, extends beyond the canopy of just Latinos. But before we get into just exactly who this other source is, we must first establish that the Latino must first possess the will and the faith before he can draw said additional strength from said other source. To say that he must first have the will to draw this strength is to say that he must first be empowered by his own free choice. That he must first be determined, enthusiastic, energetic, and purposeful toward, desire, take pleasure in, intend, and indeed be compelled by decree even to draw from this source. And to say that he must first have the faith as well is to say that he must first be loyal to the principles of kingism, unquestioning in his belief of our religion's tenets, the religion of the almighty Latin kings and queens nation and exhibit both sincerity and confidence in his gait towards doing so, towards drawing this additional strength from this other source. Brown Force goes on next to say that anonymous millions of brown men and women have given their life in the fight for liberation. They have fought against colonialism, hunger, ignorance, and for the dignity of our people. These anonymous millions of brown men and women comprise but a portion of the already mentioned other source that the Latino must first have the will and faith to draw said strength from. Be that as it may though, these anonymous millions of brown men and women have given their life in the fight for liberation. They have fought against colonialism and for the dignity of our people. What is this fight for liberation then that so many nameless people have seen fit to sacrifice their life in? What is colonialism? And just who exactly are our people? You may or may not have by now asked yourself at some point in time or another. In either case, whether you've entertained this question thus far or not, colonialism, to start, is a system or policy by which one country attempts to maintain the culture and politics of another country, as is the relationship between the United States and Puerto Rico, especially in order to exploit them economically. Liberation is the securing of equal social and economic rights or a release from slavery, enemy occupation, etc. And our people, as defined in the section of the KMC titled Ikona, where it states that the social and oppressive phenomenon known as gangbanging 
often cost the life of our people, the oppressed third world people, or in both deed and fact, the oppressed third world people of underdeveloped Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Note here that the term third world arose at the conclusion of World War II, and amongst the likes of such famed freedom fighters as France Fanon, the author of The Wretched of the Earth, and a native of the French-speaking Caribbean island of Martinique. This third world signified all the remaining countries after the developed, capitalist, imperialist first world countries of primarily Europe and North America, and the equally developed socialist, internationalist second world countries of the Soviet Union, thus then being comprised of all the remaining underdeveloped countries of Africa, Asia, and Latin America. These underdeveloped countries of people then, fighting against colonialism, hunger, and ignorance, these anonymous millions of brown men and women, fighting for the dignity of our people, are then comprised of not just Latin Americans, but Africans and Asians as well, including those who reside here in the belly of the beast, the United States of America, as we are taught in the conservative stage of kingism, as found in the KMC, where it states that, the king warrior in his conservative state lives with no future, accepting life that has been taught to him by the existing anti-king system that exploits all people of color, dehumanizes them and maintains them under the economic and social yoke of slavery, even right here within its own borders. But how, then, do we draw this strength from one another? Here, the true king does not deride, where it states in brown force that they have drawn from one another through unity, a force of fortitude, brown force, the force that provides a splendor's glow of hope and oppressed people. And so, brown force, that additional strength, is drawn from by way of the unity of all oppressed third world people. The unity of those who have been kept down, trampled upon, and or crushed by the cruel and unjust tyranny of the first world fighting together against the capitalist imperialist policy of colonialism, hunger, and ignorance. Ignorance itself being the equivalent of a lack of awareness, the new king being the end product of complete awareness, and so on and so forth. Brown force goes on to say that the force drawn from this kind of unity, brown force, is a force of fortitude, or firm courage, the strength to bear misfortune, pain, etc., calmly and patiently, Reminiscent of what the nation defines as moral bravery or the highest heroism of the nation, as stated in the Mohandic section of the KMC titled Fearlessness. What's more is that this brown force, this unity of oppressed third world people fighting for liberation is what provides the splendorous glow of hope in oppressed people. The very thing that our nation's sacred color of gold represents. The very thing, in turn, that is the sun or Almighty Eye, glowing in the essence of the being of him or her who recognizes the system of the United States as being alien to his or her train of thought, due to the components of dehumanization that exist therein. The him or her who then sees him or herself as a subject of decision and a turning will of change. The him or her who accepts our doctrine of kingism as described in the KMC and, in turn, is gifted with the Son that golden glowing orb that provides us with life, energy, and strength. The strength of our unshakable spirit, the nobleness of our heart, and our undying will to be free. Well, why then is there such an emphasis upon these anonymous millions of brown men and women who have given their life in the fight for liberation? 
surely there hasn't passed through this nation of ours anonymous millions of brown men and women. So why then are they so and thus memorialized by our founders themselves? We read further on in the Brown Forest section in question that the seed that they cast into the founding of the nation, the almighty Latin King's nation, has withstood the trials of time. In other words, this seed that they cast, the anonymous millions of brown men and women, the anonymous millions of oppressed third world men and women who have given their life fighting for the dignity of all the oppressed third world peoples of Africa, Asia, and Latin America, for the dignity of all our people, this seed, this righteous idea, opposed to the seed of such evil thought spawned by the demagogue and the false prophet, the thought of division, disunity, and discord, forewarned by the authors of the KMC, as found in the section titled Nation Man, is the very seed cast into the actual founding, the establishment, the very creation of the Almighty Latin King's Nation. The seed of universal unity. For this is the seed, the one soul in many bodies, that gave root to the one tree, bearing through kings and queens the various fruits of the Almighty Son. And finally, drawing upon the endurance and fortitude of brown forests, we continue our quest to unify and ensure free political and cultural expression among the third world people and amongst the commonwealth of individuals. Therefore, with this newfound strength, with this force of fortitude, with this brown force of unity, gilded by that splendorous glow of hope and oppressed people provided therefrom, we may make true progress and continue forward in our nation's quest, our nation's pursuit, and our nation's great and glorious journey to both ensure and unite free political and cultural expression among the third world people and amongst humanity, the commonwealth of individuals as a whole. What exactly does this mean then? It means exactly what it states over and over again within the new king stage of our nation's doctrine of kingism as found in the KMC. <coughs> and I quote therefrom, The king that lives his life according to the teachings of this nation is the true king. A king who loves his nation, his people, and his freedom. One that works for universal peace, universal freedom, and universal brotherhood. And another place it states that, the new king sees the rulers of our present system lavishing their treasures freely on the means of destruction rather than towards that which would promote the happiness of mankind. This strife and this bloodshed and this discord must cease and all oppressed people must unite as one nation, as one kindred, and as one family. And further on, the new king is the end product of complete awareness, perceiving 360 degrees of enlightenment. He strives for world unity. For him, there are no horizons between races, sexes, and senseless labels. And even when it comes to the meaning of nation time, it reads, Now is the time to proclaim the kingdom that is rightfully ours. Now is the time for union and concord. Now is the day of unity because it's nation time. And once again, more bluntly, the new king recognizes that the time for revolution is at hand. Yes, a revolution. A revolution of the mind. The revolution of knowledge, a revolution that will bring freedom to the enslaved, to all third world people as we together sing and praise with joy what time it is. It's nation time. Time for all of the world to unite. Behold, Latin King. So, in conclusion then, the political philosophy of the almighty Latin King's nation, Brown Force, in two parts is one part third world internationalist, 
which is the policy and principle of third world cooperation and unity, which we as a Latin American tribe of universal third world descent must first have the will and the faith to manifest. And one part fearlessly anti-colonialist in our united front and fight for both the dignity and the liberation of our people, the oppressed third world people of Africa, Asia, Latin America, and all their descendants, by way of the various diasporas, exiles, and immigrations prevalent in today's global society, from the despotic and tyrannical rule of the capitalist imperialist United States of North America, and all her first world colonial allies. For we are the people's liberating force, brown force, the united force of third world peoples within the almighty Latin kings and queens nation, the very foundation of the nation, the basis upon which this almighty nation stands so high, its heritage amongst the thrones of kings and queens, this religion of ours, so correctly deemed the brotherhood of man. Glory to the queens and power to the kings, and love, strength, and sacrifice, ECC 1-1, Amor de Rey. So you guys see what this one is my uh, mentor behind? Yeah, so this is what's going on right now. That right there was a little bit of the ideologies into the nation. And we're about to go into count and let these pigs go ahead and dehumanize us like we're cattle for a little while. But then when we come back, I, I really want to dig a little deeper into some of these strong ideas into this nation. I want to talk about race, internationalism, what the new king is, and this nation versus the United States. Hey, man, I'm going to get back with y'all, man. Yo. What's up, world? Live in the trenches, man, behind the fences. This is Shank Radio. You already know who it is. It's King right here, and I am greatly honored to present to you one of my dear brothers, ECC11. You guys just heard a pre-recording done about a week ago, week and a half ago, and now we've compiled a few questions, we've compiled a few ideas, and we have gotten a few questions from... Uh, this fellow comrade that is actually out west and um, at UCLA. So I'm going to ask a few questions. We're going to build a little dialogue here, and then we're going to ask these questions that's coming from you, the free world people, man, the comrades, the organizers, the ones that are, are, are helping us in these trenches, man. All right? So I would like to introduce to you my dear friend, ECC11. It's a great pleasure. It's a great pleasure to be here. I'm glad to be able to... Uh answer these questions, not only for the people of Berkeley, but uh, for all those who are listening to uh, Shank Radio. Alright, so here we go, man. Now, um, I want to make this clear, though, that whenever we talk, whenever we bring up things about the Almighty Latin King, Queen Nation, we are only going to be talking about ideals, we're going to be talking about religious aspects, and the political stance. Alright, we'll never really get into the gang organization because that's something that we're pulling away from, man. Alright, we just want to elucidate these ideas and our philosophies. Alright, so first, saying that, we just listened to Brown Force. Brown Force is one of the main ideas that unite us Latin kings, unite us to the world. Now, I want to ask you, in reference to Brown Force, that excerpt we just heard, where do the Latin kings, the almighty Latin king, queen nation, the nation will call it, where do we fit into this world? Um, I think that's a somewhat of a broad question to begin with. When you say where it is that we fit into this world, um, let's break it down to exactly what world are we talking about. Are we talking about the world here in the United States of America? Are we talking about the world in Western civilization? Are we talking about 
you know, the global picture of the world? Well, I think first let's start with here in the United States and then build from there because I'm sure we can go somewhere. Historically speaking, the nation, and when I refer to the nation, I'm referring to the Almighty Latin Kings and Queens Nation. Historically speaking, the nation was founded um, primarily upon the idea of self-defense for Latin American people in the Midwest, exclusively at first in the uh, area of Chicago, Illinois, um, and primarily dealing with Puerto Rican and Mexican immigrants who were faced with all forms of discrimination um, by city council, by the state, by the federal system, by co-workers, by the education department. You can uh, imagine uh, the extensive you know, amount of prejudices that they were faced with, and it was necessary for organizations to be formed in, in the defense of those people. Okay, now when you say in the defense of these people, is this what they're talking about in brown force? This force that we're talking about, is it that defense we're talking about, or is it something else? Me personally, I, I find that brown force was something that evolved. It was something that came about perhaps because of the social upheaval and the times uh, during the uh, 50s and the 60s. Uh, when you had the Black Power Movement and uh, all the, the Civil Liberties Movements of uh, that era, when uh, it was deemed necessary for third world peoples, for uh, minorities to unite together to try to overcome a system that was based upon oppression. All right. So now, because this brown force was created, because these ideas of brown force was created, where does that fit in into the politics, into the revolutionary aspect, into the criminal aspect, or even just into just the daily life of the Almighty Latin Kings? I think when you ask the question about the criminal aspect, I can't see per se the application in a criminal respect. I think it was more an idea based upon third world peoples, third world struggles against first world oppression, um, against uh, what is referred to as colonialism, against the idea of capitalism destroying uh, the world um, overall and, and, and the, the, the masses of the world, the, the population of the planet. And the idea there was that, okay, at first we learned that through unity with each other, the Latin American people in this country, we were able to accomplish a great deal of things. However, the bigger picture would never be reached or realized unless we were to unite with all those people who were in the struggle against oppression. Okay, so I think we could easily flow into this then. When we talk about brown force and we talk about Latin kings, these are terms of, of I guess you can say, race and terms of ethnicities and terms of uh, these, 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 these words that are we using are, are, are they strictly for brown people, for Latin people, where, where does this even make sense in this united force that we're talking about and the Almighty Latin King Queen Nation, man? Good question. I think that, um, again, <clears throat> when the nation was first created, when it was first thought of, <clears throat> the idea of unity was uh, limited in scope and it was limited to Latin American people. Um, in one of our lessons, there is an acronym for the Almighty Latin Kings Nation, and um, in the middle portion, the Latin Kings portion, it is broken down to refer to a Latin American tribe. 
and a lot of people are confused by that reference. However, when you talk about race, when you talk about nationality, when you talk about ethnicity, I think for, for a great deal of people here in the United States, there is a confusion uh, when it comes to those things. You know, people confuse race with color and color with race and nationality with ethnicity. And, you know, it, it has a lot to do with the history of racism in this country. But I said all that to say this. A Latin American tribe is not limited to a race of people. Um, I believe at some point or another we realized that uh, anybody from any part of the world that was to move into a Latin American country, at some point in time or another, they became naturalized. They became uh, a citizen of that country. They shared the customs, the culture, they spoke the language, they ate the food. And eventually, if uh, they so choose or desire to or were able to, they had children and, and offspring. And, and they were uh, a continuation of the generations of, of, of those people and of, of those lands, if you will. And, you know, the, the application can be applied the same with our organization. Um, when we refer to brown people, um, that's another thing that is uh, confusing for a lot of people because they think of brown people uh, conceptually as just being uh, Latin American people. And that's not necessarily true. Uh, if you go into Latin America, you will find people of the fairest skin, of the blondest hair, the bluest eyes. At the same token, you will find people of the darkest skin. And to, to attempt to say that you know, the Latin American people are the uh, so-called brown people is in, in, in some ways a, a form of bias. Um, however, when we use the color brown in reference to brown people, there is a, a link to all third world people. And it's a much broader scope when you consider third world people and referring to them as the brown people. Um, you go into the, the idea of third world people. You go into the idea of the, uh, the north and the south, not just the uh, so-called east and the west. And it opens up a much broader understanding of politics in the world today, of race, of the history of race. Um, as we know uh, 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 from our studies, even outside the nation, race is something that um, uh, to some degree was created by the capitalists in order to uh, divide the people, in order to weaken them, in order to attack their unity, which is really the foundation of brown force and therefore the foundation of the nation, as it says in our own teachings. It has to do with unity of brown people. It has to do with the unity of third world people. Okay, so when we say the unity of third world people, that means I'm getting the idea that anyone can be a Latin king. Anyone can join this tribe that you're talking about. Not necessarily anyone. There are restrictions. However, those restrictions are not based on um, the color of someone's skin, the language that they speak or don't speak, their so-called nationality, ethnicity, uh, cultural background. Those things are not limitations. However, there are limitations uh, based on uh, matters that are not relevant to what we're discussing. For right sure. Now. now, let me ask you this, right? Um, we use the word tribe a lot. We use the word tribe in our nation, in our literature. Mm -hmm. However, we also use the word nation. Mm -hmm. We also use organization. We also use these, these, these terms that we, we call each other brothers. Now, what is the Almighty Latin King Queen Nation? Is it, is it, is it a tribe, an organization, a, an actual nation? Is it a family? Well, what would you consider the Almighty Latin King Queen Nation? Well, at the, at the risk of sounding somewhat ridiculous, I think to some degree or another, each one of these titles, if you will, can be applied. Um, family, tribe, nation, people, brothers and sisters... 
organization, affiliation. You will even find the word federation, um, which is more relevant to the actual design that we were originally uh, uh, passed down by way of our constitution. And um, I don't think that any one, at any one particular time, can necessarily be applied exclusively. I think they all can be applied in some degree or to some extent, one way or another, some, at some point in time or another. Okay, kind of interchangeable. And I, I also think we talked about this before, you know, as we grow within the nation, we know that there's three stages. We yeah. know that we talk about the primitive stage, the conservative stage, and the new king stage, which is that divine revolutionary we most most of us aspire to be in the nation. Yes. Right? So, I just wonder, though, um, as we progress in this nation, as we grow in this nation, do our ideas of, because when I first became Almighty Latin King, you know, it was a family thing. You know, it was a family thing. It was it was something that I held on to. But as I I, I grew, I understood. I started understanding the ideas of the Latin kings as a nation, mm-hmm. as a nation without any any borders or or, or boundaries. Mm-hmm. And then I came into understanding the organizational points of the Almighty Latin King Queen Nation. And then now, almost um, 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 stuck on us being leftist political forces, leftist revolutionaries. Right yes. now, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the political revolutionary aspect when dealing with the Almighty Land King Queen Nation, also from the Brown Force point of view, okay. as well as getting into the separation between race, ethnicity, and nationality. Right mm-hmm. now, I know that's that, that's pretty 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 big of an area I'm talking about, but I want to know you know about the political and revolutionary ideas when it comes to race, when it comes to ethnicity, and when it comes to nationality. Okay, well, before I get to that conclusion, let me, let, me, um, let me offer a little bit of information concerning my own development within the nation. Because it's saying that you refer to as uh, your ideas or concepts or understandings of the nation when you first became a part of the nation. With over 20 years of experience in the nation, when I first came into the nation, I had a somewhat limited understanding as well. My understanding was simply that this was an organization of Latin American people that were willing to do anything. Um, whether it was criminal or otherwise, to protect its people. And at that time, again, my concept of our people was one that included exclusively Latin American people. However, however, with time, um, my understanding has uh, grown, it has become more deep, and it now includes third world people, and as well, all oppressed people. Now, that understanding came as a result of two things. Uh, First, it came as a result of me wanting to learn the history of my understanding of my people then, which was the Latin American people. And in my studies at that time, I uh, time and time again was exposed to uh, the the movement, the revolution, um, the independence movements in Latin America, the the socialist influence, uh, how the Soviet Union was there to assist them, how the United States was there to exploit them. And I couldn't help but to run into these references over and over again. Now, shortly thereafter, um, I was uh, exposed to the KMC, which is the King Manifesto and Constitution of the Almighty Latin Kings Nation. And this is a document that has existed and survived for a, a great deal of time. And it's also one that I think needs to well be studied um, by not only the members of the nation, but those uh, who are, let's say, listening to this this program as we speak. 
Um, in that revelation, though, is whenever it was that I realized that we did have these influences, these leftist influences, if you will, these revolutionary concepts, and that these influences came from particular people. We talk about the three stages. I found that the three stages were heavily influenced by Ernesto Che Guevara, who we all know was a strong supporter of armed struggle, who we all know was uh, a leftist himself. Um, uh, there's a section in our teachings uh, called fearlessness, and you'll find that a good portion of fearlessness originated with the words of Mohandas Gandhi who we all know was the architect of the nonviolence movement, as well as the architect of a successful nonviolence movement, if you will, in the ousting of the British uh, colonialists in India. Um, and so I think that our development within the nation, um, at one stance, it has to do with even the vaguest concept of what the nation is about, because even without the KMC, we still for the most part, coming into the nation, have a general concept that this nation is for the good, it is for the righteous, it is, it is to be against oppression. However, once we are exposed to the document and reference, which is the King Manifesto and Constitution, uh, we, we are enabled to a broader perspective. Um, the literature therein is one that is influential and inspiring of us to pursue a more, uh, again, if you will, leftist concept of things, a perspective of the world and where we're at. All right, so saying that, is brown force a political idea? Is it a revolutionary idea? Yes, I think very much so. I think it is um, uh, conclusively um, a leftist, anti-colonialist, and third world internationalist idea. I believe, uh, furthermore, uh, it takes a, a more even grander step in uh, the reference to our quest to ensure and unite free cultural and political expression amongst the third world people and the commonwealth of individuals. I think in that statement alone, which is supported by various other statements that we will find throughout the manifesto and reference, um, we're talking about one world. We're talking about one nation. We're talking about harmony amongst mankind. We're talking about humanity no longer being divided. Okay. And we know how they divide us. They divide us through race. They divide us through different nationalities, borders. They divide us through ethnicity. They divide us through classism. There's so many different ways that these, these the powers that be unite us. I mean, that, that, that try to not unite us. Try yeah. to keep us separate. Yes. Now, through that, where does Brown Force and the Almighty Latin King Queen Nation, where do they fall in line with race versus ethnicity versus nationality? What, what, are, the, what are the ideas when it comes there? What, what, what are the belief systems, or even just your belief systems, when it comes to race versus ethnicity and nationality? I would, um, I would, uh, I would be challenged um, to find any clear-cut references, teachings, etc., dealing with that particular question within the manifesto itself. I think any answer to that question would be primarily a, a, a one based upon opinion or my own perspectives. However, um, with what I've shared thus far, I think that is more in line with uh, my understanding of what the nation is referring to. At the same time, I'd like to, I'd like to stipulate this as well, is that for what it's worth, we are making reference to a document that was written 
at an earlier time, an earlier age, if you will. And I believe that all of our concepts um, have developed. Um, that has not necessarily equated with a changing of the writing itself. However, I think it's inevitable that this referential, referential piece of literature, it pushes us, it encourages us to go in a certain direction, to, to study certain things. And once we go down that path, I think it's a path of inevitability. We are going to develop a certain way. And when it deals or when it concerns race, ethnicity, nationality, etc., as long as we continue down this path of study, our understandings and concepts of those things are going to sharpen. They are going to become more broad. Um, we will have a definitely more uh, focused idea and understanding of those things. Right. Um, I want to ask a couple of these questions from our comrades at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. All right. And I think we both can build up these questions. Uh, I'm going to start from the last one first, and we're going to go from there. And this first question is, <clears throat> what does it mean when you say y'all must protect brown women? From whom and what might it look like to make a space for women to defend themselves rather than be defended? I think that is a timely question. That kind of comes in at the coattails of what I was just trying to say. Um... There is definitely an inevitability as well that we are going to run into the ideas and concepts of gender, of sexism, uh, things of these nature. And if we look into the history of the nation and we look into the literature itself, and again, the one that's in reference here, the KFC, we will find that the official name of our organization is the Almighty Latin Kings Nation. However, at some point in time or another, the name Queens was included. That didn't necessarily per se change the official name of the organization. However, the reference here is that there was a development in the concept of women within the nation. Um, since then, we have developed in a number of different ways, uh, some of which I may not be at liberty to speak upon right now, but in ways that concern structuralism, uh, positions, so on and so forth. Um, experimentations, if you will, have um, gone underway. Uh, maybe not necessarily approved by any one or group of people, but they have existed. Um, it has happened, and we have learned from different things. And the question at hand, uh, and it's a great question, is, uh, you know, when we make reference to this manifesto, we talk about, uh, in the particular area of the Code of Kingism, how we are supposed to protect brown women. And I, it seems to me that the question is, is leaning towards why not create a space for women to be able to protect themselves. And um, I fully agree with that. And again, like I said, we are encouraged to, to go down a certain path. And down that path, it is inevitable that we will develop in a certain way. And I think uh, the development um, of, uh, let's say, women's rights, of uh, equal opportunity for women, so on and so forth, is an inevitable development, and I think that a, a good portion of us have already gone down that path, have already developed in that direction, and, and in some cases have fought for um, further recognition of women within the nation. And um, uh, to take one more step in that same direction, uh, me personally, and I, I believe many of us in the nation uh, support this as well, are a strong supporters of every woman's movement, um, as long as it 
is movements that concern, or excuse me, that include all women, not just uh, a particular race of women or a particular nationality of women, but all women. And, and when we get into the field of uh, gender studies, uh, we find uh, a variety of different movements that have occurred, uh, especially here in the United States, and some of them of which have, uh, some of us have concluded to have been a farce. Um, they were primarily for the benefit of one particular group and not the whole. And I think that's something that um, we could probably get into in another topic or on another conversation, but I did want to touch on that as well. And I want to touch a little bit on this um, idea that what it talks about in Brown Force, where it talks about we shall protect our brown women. I think we need to take it back a little bit and understand that these these ideas that are coming to fruition right now, that, that, that the world is catching a flame, I think they weren't always there, nor were they in our nation. I think that our nation, which is, and just, just a lot of people and a lot of ideas, man, I think for a long time, everyone was so involved in the machoism. The machoism, this, this, this idea that men are more powerful, that men are the ones that have to protect their women. I think even then, that is why the Almighty Land King Nation was the Almighty Land King Nation, because there was always queens. There was just never them in the title. And I think that machoism has, has changed, like the brother said. I think, I think we have grown. I think the Almighty Land King Queen Nation is much more... Not only what the nation is representing now, but what the world represents now. Or at least what our world represents now. Because how can we say that we are fighters of the oppressed and be macho? You know, how can we say that we are fighters of the third world people and exclude women? So I think through time we have evolved. I think through time we have, but I think that's where it came from. I think when it was talked about the, 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 the brown women, I think that there's a lot of places... In, in our manifesto where it talks about the children, the children being the nation of tomorrow. And when we're talking about these children, we know that there's only one way to have kids, man, it's through these women. So I think when it also talks about protecting the brown women, I don't think it's only talking about on a physical level, too. I think we need to protect our women's rights in the nation. I think we need to protect our women's ideas in the nation. I think we need to protect our women's rank in this nation. I think we need to protect our, 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 our own ideas towards our own women in this nation. Um, this alongside them. Alongside them, yes. for sure, for yes. sure, with them. You know, I think that we need to be able to protect their rights because it's still to this day, most of the leaders are men. Most of the leaders are men. There's other countries now that I've, I've heard about that have women leaders, which is a brilliant, beautiful thing. And, and I just hope we can see that one day over here. But I think, I think our forefathers that wrote this wasn't only talking about protecting them physically. I think it was protecting them and the idea of the queen, that, that, that queenism. We talk about kingism a lot, but I think queenism is a very important thing in our nation as well. All right, let me go to this next question. One more thing before you go any further. I wanted to, because uh, you said this, and it, and it struck something in me, that just last night I was reading through The Man and Myself, and it's, it's similar whenever you read through law here in the United States. Um, you'll find time and time again where they have crossed out a previous reference to uh, a masculine uh, a party. And they've uh, since then changed that, and they've crossed it out, and now they you know, make a more uh, gender-neutral reference. And I see, you know, throughout the many that there's always references to brother, 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 or him, him, him. 
And, you know, you said something about uh, uh, machismo, you know, and this is uh, it's a stereotypical of Latin American men to have this type of machismo, this, this, this chauvinism, you know, towards and over women. But, um, you know, in, in addition to that, there's so many great histories and studies out there. Um, Kevin Rashid Johnson from the New African Black Panther Party uh, prison chapter wrote uh, an extensively on this. Um, there's a couple anarchist uh, pieces that I've read where, you know, in, in, in third world countries, uh, in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, uh, you know, throughout there have been times when there were these tribes, there were these nations that were, um, they were, uh, how do you call that, um, matricida. They, they had women who uh, led them. And it was as a result of uh, a primitive form of uh, imperialism when, you know, peoples from other continents, uh, primarily Europeans, but others as well, that came in and invaded with force. And as a result, it kind of changed the dynamic where no longer was the wisdom of the woman uh, required to govern and rule, but it was the uh, perceived might of the man. And, you know, these, these studies are, uh, you know, again, like I said, once you go down this path, and, and, and this is what the, the nation is, or excuse me, the, the, the KMC is, is so astounding for, is that it encourages us. Those of us who would otherwise have no way of knowing anything about these studies, those of us who do not, uh, based upon the statistics, stand a chance of learning any of these things. Because we'll never be exposed to the people who are, you know, for instance, listening to this program right now, or the people who presented these questions from Berkeley, um, with the KMC being available to them uh, at ground zero, if you will, um, it, it is a lifesaver. It is a, a bridge that gaps uh, a vast uh, uh, canyon of uh, emptiness, and uh, an emptiness that has resulted as a result of the war of the United States and the federal government against the movement here in North America. Awesome. All right, check this out. This is question number two. Now, these questions get a little deeper throughout time, man, okay? Um, and that was just deep starting. All right, so what is the role of peace slash violence in the united resistance by third world people? Okay. Um, the question, it seems to me, um, a question that would be a little bit more fine-tuned towards somebody who could claim themselves as an expert, per se, maybe, in third world-ism or third world politics. Um, what I can speak on more exclusively myself is uh, our perceptions, you know, as a spokesman, if you will, of, of the Almighty Latin Kings and Queens Nation. And, our third world party. Okay, um, and, and our concepts and ideas. And I find that um, these same influences, these same inspirations that I'm making reference to, uh, the two that I gave reference to earlier are the prime examples. Uh, Ernesto Che Guevara. Um, you're talking about um, uh, the godfather, if you will, of armed struggle. Um, and then on the adverse side, you have uh, Mohandas Gandhi. And you're talking about the architect of nonviolence, uh, a movement that was adopted later on by uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King here in, in, in the United States. And so um, what I find in that is that the nation is not saying... You know, you have to be this, uh, you know, armed guerrilla warfare revolutionary, um, or necessarily the the opposite. But uh, so long as you participate in the movement to one degree or another. In fact, um, I wish I had my quotes with me, but I don't. Um, there is a quote that I often uh, cite in some of my writings, 
And um, that is a quote um, by both Gandhi as well as Dr. Martin Luther King. And that quote has to do with um, the misconception that uh, either of these individuals was primarily or exclusively, uh, you know, favoring towards nonviolence and that they absolutely objected to violence. And that's not necessarily true. These quotes, if I had them on hand, would, would show that they did not oppose it outright. Um, in fact, uh, for what it's worth, in my own words, what their, what their um, quotes were were more or less that um, so long as you participated in the movement, whether it was with violence or without violence, so long as you did what you were called to do as a human being, uh, fighting for your dignity, for the dignity of mankind, um, that was what was required. It didn't matter if you were favored towards violence or nonviolence. The only thing that mattered was that you fought, that you stood up. And I find that with those two uh, influential characters uh, that inspired the writing of the King Manifesto, that that is what we're being told as well. That it doesn't matter that uh, if whether or not you are you know 100% for armed struggle or for passive resistance, so long as you resist. Yeah, I think one thing we need to bring up too, and I think that was beautiful that you used those two concepts, Gandhi and Martin Luther King, and I don't want to say verses. However, the ideologies is verses. <laughs> Our Father Che, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the priest of our nation, right? <laughs> um, and I feel like he is our divine saint. You know, I am big. I'm known to be a huge proponent of the armed struggle. You know, I, 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 I feel that it was necessary for this nation. I feel that I can, as we go through in time and, 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 and as we build more off of these ideas, I, I, I will give so many references to the Black Panther Party and what they did with these armed resistance, right? They showed that, that third world people have the same rights, right? However, we're not going to get into that right now. I want to touch a little bit on the differences, though, between the organizers and the revolutionaries of this nation, the nonviolent and the violent, right? The, the, the ideas that that either one can support the other, I, I don't think will ever happen, man. I think they both have to be there. One, one is never going to be better or greater than the other. We, we cannot all strap up with guns and just rush the, rush the, the, the courthouses. You know, that's never going to happen, man. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. It's not even an idea that can happen. However, just organizing and just talking about it, just being a peaceful protest, I mean... If that worked, there wouldn't be riots. If that worked, people still wouldn't remember the Waltz riots. If that worked, people still... Yeah, hold up, bro. People still wouldn't be... 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 be taken to the streets with fire, man. People still wouldn't be trying to use violence as the only way to be heard. There's a reason why peaceful protests do not only work. There's a reason why, and I think that is why the Almighty Latin King Queen Nation was created as well. Because in our neighborhoods, from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even till now, man, we, being peaceful doesn't get us anywhere. Or being quiet doesn't get us anywhere, you know. And, and, and maybe that's just a primitive way that we're taught. Maybe it's just the, 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 prim, the, 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 the primitive ideas that we are, are, are brought up in, you know, violence, 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 violence. Maybe that is, is, is an issue, 
that we only have this violence, 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 violence. However, when it comes to brown force and when it comes to the Almighty Latin King Queen Nation, I think this is a perfect example of both sides, of both organizers and revolutionaries, because there is so very few Latin kings that turn into revolutionaries. I want to bring up that we have this idea that this person, that this divine, this divine entity that we all strive for called the new king, the true revolutionary, one that rises above these diversities, one that rises above these, 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 these petty ideas as, as machismo, these petty ideas as, as race, you know, and, and brings them to this, this level of new king in the kings, the true revolutionary. But so very few of us ever make it there. So very few of us ever care to make it there. And I think that once we have these few new kings, wherever they come from, whether it's the criminal class, whether it's the, 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 the actually straight from prison, or whether it's some, some person that went to college and, and became a doctor and then realized the struggle is real and shot out to Africa and started fighting, man. You know, whoever it is that becomes this new king, I think that is the, the, the perfect example of the organizer and revolutionary. You know, so I think that this nation, when it comes to the both sides, our third world party, our third world political revolutionary party, our third world 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 nation, I think that we have both sides, man. I think we do have these our, our, our organizers, and I think we do have our revolutionaries, man, that just want to to do whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to to win. Going back to uh, violence. <clears throat> And your statement on whether or not this is just a, let's call it a primitive instinct. I think historically speaking, you make a great point, and that is that um, who has gone anywhere without the exercise of violence to some degree or another? Passive resistance has resulted uh, historically in very few cases of success and liberation. Um, on the other hand, in most cases, it has required violence. However, violence, I believe, is something that um, as well has been studied to a great degree. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is the work of Franz Fanon in The Wretched of the Earth. There is a difference in the types of violence. You have the oppressor's violence, and then you have the uh, violence of the oppressed. One that is oppressing and one that is liberating, and that is something that um, needs to be taken into consideration. Um, by uh, the broad masses, uh, primarily, because um, the majority of people have a misconception of violence, uh, where its roots lie. Um, a, lot, a large part of that has to do with uh, the media and the portrayal of uh, those who are considered to be violent people, so on and so forth. I believe you made reference to the uh, quote-unquote super predators in some of your work before. Um, and I think that... Um, you know, you talk about the difference between uh, a political party or a revolutionary uh, organization, let's say. And um, we talked about this the other day. You know, you've had a number of cases in South Africa. Um, you had, uh, let's call it, a divide between Nelson Mandela and, and Winnie. Um, you know, the one that wanted to continue the armed struggle and the one that wanted to enter the, the political realm. Uh, we referred to the... Um, the Irish Republican Army and how they had a branch that came off and, 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 and involved themselves in politics. In application to the nation, I think that at some point in time, it's going to be inevitable that we 
ourselves develop um, structurally. Um, I don't know how that's going to take place, but I, um, I do find myself to like to consider dialectical materialism and the science of, of Marxism in that respect. And I think that um, there is a chance that the uh, so-called conservative brothers and sisters, those who are in the conservative stage, that middle stage, um, could form this political uh, party, this political involvement that you're referring to. And those of us who excel and make it into the New King stage may at some point or another perhaps create the more militant sector of an organization designed exclusively against uh, first world imperialism and colonialist practice. All right, so going to the next question, <clears throat> this is also from our friends at Berkeley. What are the limits of unity amongst third world people? And we could even just say in our nation, what are the limits in, or even our nation dealing with other nations, our nation dealing with other third world people? I can answer that simply. I think um, the, the limits are limitless. I think uh, we're fighting our quest is for the unity and free expression of uh, political and cultural expression of third world people, as well as the commonwealth of individuals. Therefore, I see no limits when it comes to that unity. And I, I do see that same, that, that, that same path and the same result of an elucidated person that, I mean, in, in someone that's able to elucidate the KMC like you, someone that's able to take the manifesto and break it down. However, I think it's simple. Our limits are ourselves. <laughs> Our limits are the ones that choose not to learn. Our limits are the ones that choose to stay in these gang-banging or primitive mentality. Mm -hmm. I think those are our limits. I think we look at this this question from the two different different polars. Mm -hmm. I think you are seeing the limitless. Right. And I think I am seeing that without educating ourselves, without building ourselves, right. that we become the limit. This is what's preventing it. Exactly. Okay, right. okay, you know? okay. All right, so let me go to the next one. Uh, we're about to get to the bammer here. All right. So uh, this next question is, how do we reconcile when black and brown folks support the system that continue to oppress us? How do we, how do we reconcile with them? reconciliation? Um, I, can't, I can't answer that question... And in, in, in coming from, let's say, the KMC itself, um, perhaps I'm missing something. Perhaps I'm not considering something. Um, however, I think there's reconciliation there. I think it's present in the respect that if you take into consideration the three stages again, which is the doctrine of kingism, um, excuse me, uh, kingism being the doctrine of the nation, um, we have those three stages. And we have a primitive stage, which is, you know, the, the lumpen proletarian stage, if you will, that criminal class. Um, we have the conservative stage that is the, uh, you know, the, the wannabe uh, petty bourgeoisie sector. You know, those who have uh, taken their piece of the uh, American pie. And then, of course, uh, we have the new king stage, which is the turning wheel of change stage, the subject of decision stage, the revolutionary stage. And I say that to say that... When you take those first two into consideration, you're talking primarily of non-revolutionary elements. And these comprise a great portion, the majority of the population in the Almighty Latin Kings Nation, therefore are non-revolutionary. So you have to include them in the so-called black and brown people who are capitulizing or, or capitulating to the system. Um, is there room 
for reconciliation. Um, I don't think there has been necessarily a divide or a division. Um, we are all one people. However, uh, when you go into the study of classism, uh, class politics, class identity, um, there are things that you have to take into consideration. Uh, one of the primary things that you have to acknowledge is the difference between friend and foe. Um, you cannot base your relationships um, on race, on the color of your skin, on nationality per se. Um, you get into class politics, you have to know where this person stands. Is this person uh, supportive of a system that is uh, supportive of oppression? Or is this person supportive of a system that is supportive of uh, more egalitarian ideals? I think that was like, you know, too perfect, man. I, I don't, you know, when it comes to reconciling with the black and brown folks that support the system that continues to oppress us, <laughs> To be honest, which I really don't deal with them dudes. <laughs> I really keep them dudes out of my game room, man. Um, because that's just not where I am in life, man. I'm not at that point where I, me, the king, man, is able to reach out and try to build that bridge, man. I'm not, man. Um, but I also see what you're saying. Sometimes so many of us do it or have done it without the knowledge without the, the idea that this is actually what we're doing. You know, I just think that the reconciliation comes when they are ready to see, man. I don't think it really has to do with that. I think we're doing what we need to be doing, man. And I think that when it's time for them to, to, to take up arms, they're either gonna become with, either they're gonna become our, 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 our allies or our enemies, man. I'd like to I'd like to pose a, a real quick question. Um, it's it's a, it's an interesting one, and it'll, it'll be more interesting to those who are members of the nation who might be listening. Um, as kids, we grew up in the nation, and, and we were asked at some point or another, or a large portion of us were asked uh, before joining the nation. Uh, we were given a scenario. For instance, if we were in a boat, and inside the boat was a member of the nation, and it was a family member, and you know the family member. Uh, was put in a situation where that family member was going to drown and there was only one person that could be saved. Would you save the member of the nation or would you save the family member? And I've also uh, often had uh, qualms with this question. However, this question was presented by a brother named Taino out of New Jersey who was fundamental in the production of the Royal Rage, which was a newsletter they had up there in the late 90s, early 2000s. And the way that the question was presented by that particular individual was, in the event that a revolution was to occur here in the United States of America and martial law, you know, let's say, was declared and uh, the nation was fighting against the government wholeheartedly and uh, this particular individual, whether brother or sister, was to seek refuge in uh, their home where their parents or family members lived and their parents and or family members gave them an ultimatum and which was basically either stay here with us and support the system or you can no longer live with us because you are our enemy. What would you do then? And I think it's, a, it's an interesting question to ask because now we're dealing again with politics. And when you get into the broader concepts of the nation, they are very political. And I think that's something, uh, for, again, like I said, those of you who are listening who are members of this nation, who have never even considered the depth of the nation to this degree, um, ask yourselves and ask each other that same question. Just to see the difference between friends and foes, hmm. who's who and where they stand. Alright, so now this is going to be the last question, and I'm going to cut it off. This is probably the <clears throat> bread and butter of the this right here, man, right? How do we move beyond identity politics? Identity politics? Well, 
I'm not ashamed to say that beginning this uh, interview, if you will, I had a question as to what exactly these identity politics were. And my understanding was more or less um, a concept that uh, was kind of narrow in perspective. In other words, uh, uh, politics, if you will, that was formed around uh, the narrow perspective. You know, uh, we're only concerned with... Uh, uh, the things that affect our people, whether they're members of the nation or, the, again, the Latin American people or, you know, however far you want to take this. And um, the question, if will you ask it one more time yeah, so I, I can get the second part of it? it All right. Hold the question is, how do we move beyond identity politics? Beyond identity politics. The thing that comes to mind is... We continue to grow. We continue to develop. Um, Kingism, the three stages, is all about development. Um, again, we're, uh, you know, the writings were inspired. Uh, we are encouraged to go down a certain path. And down that path um, is development. And with that development will enable us to, to, to go beyond these so-called identity politics. And for what it's worth, I think um, you know, identity politics um, are something that many of us suffer from or as a result of um, from one group or another uh, there is some form of identity politics and, um, and this could almost go hand in hand with the conversation we had the other day Manito, in which um, you know there's so much division in the movement you know it, there's there's so much debate um, there's such a you know obstinacy to join forces uh, to create the so-called united front or what we refer to as brown force and I, I, I can't answer that question because it's such a profound question. And I think it's a question that has stumped us uh, for decade upon decade here, especially in the United States. Um, for what it's worth, um, those in the leftist camp, those uh, who are uh, Marxist and or uh, other particular leftist organizations who uh, preach you know, this type of unity... Um, I find that there is something there. I don't know if the uh, end-all, say-all answer is there, but there's something there. It's, it has to be based on unity, the fight for unity. Um, it has to be, again, uh, based upon uh, the concept of development, that the human being that we will develop, that it will become inevitable at some point or another for the existence of the human race that we come together, that we learn to be one. Um, again, it's a very profound question, and I think it's a question that, um, uh, to some degree, uh, I would almost like to ask our listeners. Mm -hmm. And that's dope. I think, I think I would like to um, go and talk a little bit about our history. When I became an Almighty Latin King, when I became a Latin King when I was 17 years old, we had an actual rule that saying that you had to have at least one parent that was 100% Latino. You had to have, you had to be 50% Latino. And since then, the ideologies of the Almighty Land King Queen Nation has changed. The identity politics has changed. You no longer have to have one parent that is Latino. You no longer, now I don't know if that was set in stone, I don't know where that came from, however, that was law at least in, in, in my mind, or at least in, and that's how I was treating it, it's how everyone had it back then. You had to be 50% Latino. And I think this question in reference to the nation is that 
the nation is moving beyond identity politics. The, the, the nation is moving beyond these, these ideologies or these, these race questions or these, um, these, these, these culture uh, questions or these class questions, right? On where does the Almighty Land King Queen Nation fit and then where do each of us fit in the Almighty Land King Queen Nation? You know, um, we have batted ass white brothers. We have black brothers that will smack a mother for anything, for anything they're dealing with this brother, with this nation, man. And just like I will smack a motherfucker for these white and black brothers, man, for these Indian brothers that we have. Because the idea about moving beyond identity politics is taking that identity out of there and sticking truly on our ideologies, our ideas. I'm not... I, I talk to this a lot about the brothers, man. You know, one of our um, one of our points, I guess we would call it, is love. It's the first point, right? Principle. Exactly. One of our principles is is love. And this principle, when people talk about love, it's not that I love you. It's that we share that same love. So I think a way to move beyond identity politics and and identity in the nation or identity in this world is to find that idea that we both believe in, that we both can stand on, that we both can build from. And I think that right there, sticking to the principles, I think that right there will, will, will help move us beyond identity politics like it already has. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and it's, 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 it's cool that you brought up the principle of love. Um, Chase said himself at the, at, the, at the risk of sounding ridiculous, you know, it's love that drives the revolutionary, not hate. And, 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 and I, I like to support, um, because I'm such a hardliner concerning the KMC, I like to support the, the distribution, the study, the accessibility to the King Manifesto because you do have these brothers who are willing to go to extremes for the other members of the nation. However, there is a portion of them who still to this day lack a concept of liberation. And with that understanding, um, I am much more in support of a person who is willing to do those things based upon our beliefs versus our relationship. Um, with that, I believe we're coming to a conclusion. Um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to say uh, that I'm uh, very appreciative of this opportunity to speak um, to the uh, men and women of Berkeley, um, to Angela Davis, because she's always a queen to us. <laughs> Uh, to Jonathan Jackson, to the Black Panther Party and their support thereof and our relationship with that party um, through Fred Hampton and the work that he did in Illinois. Uh, there's so much for the world to uh, discover and ask of us and uh, I myself will, am readily available unto death. For sure, man. Peace from the Almighty, man. Yeah.